I want to take as my text this morning from that reading from the seventh chapter of the Revelation of St. John the Divine. Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1223. And I'd like to read that again. I didn't realize I was going to need the page number myself. Revelations chapter 7 and beginning at verse 9. And after this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, And so who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This morning I want to talk about faith's ultimate reward. Faith's ultimate reward. Indeed, what is the reward for remaining ever faithful to God? It was Jesus himself in the 24th chapter of Matthew who said this, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and they will deliver you up to tribulation, to affliction, to persecution, and put you to death. And you will be hated for my namesake. And then, of course, many will fall away, Jesus says, and the love of many will grow cold. I don't know if I'm going to pay that kind of a price to stay faithful. But then Jesus says in verse 13, but the one who endures to the end, shall be saved. And in his vision, this is what John sees. John is exiled, had been exiled by the Romans, and he is now on the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, which is located between Greece and what is now modern-day Turkey. And it was there that John received these visions. 
uh, visions that we have had for a long time recorded for us in what we call the Revelation of John. And in our text, John says, and I looked as I was there, and God gave me this vision. And behold, a, a great multitude that no one could number. I couldn't number them. From every nation and every tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Seemingly, John is describing a heavenly scene. It's a vision of what's going on in heaven, in God's heavenly temple. And what John sees is it's a vast multitude of believers from every name, nation and language and people. In fact, one thing I think for Westerners to keep in mind is that most Christians around the world don't look anything like us. <laughs> but the faith has gone everywhere. In fact, that's what Jesus told the disciples to do after the resurrection. And all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth, and now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've taught you. And lo, while you're doing this, I am with you even to the end of the age. And so John sees this vast multitude of believers from every nation and language and people standing before, before God's throne in heaven and before the Lamb, of course, which is code language for Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb. In fact, you remember even in this same biblical tradition, the Gospel of John, John the Baptist saw Jesus one day, and John records it in John chapter 1 and verse 29. It says, and, and the next day John, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, John said to his own disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Or Paul writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Paul refers to Jesus as our Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us. And John says that those who he sees standing before the throne are, are clothed in white robes, signifying their holiness, that they have been forgiven, that they have been justified and given a right standing before God. And with palm branches in their hands, signifying joy and victory. <laughs> we made it! <laughs> and John says that they're crying out with a loud voice. It's very interesting. He doesn't say voices. He says with a loud voice, meaning, meaning, meaning that they're saying or they're singing together as one and in unison. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. There he is and the Lamb. John says in verse 11, and all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. Now the elders and the four living creatures John describes earlier in chapter 4 of the Revelation and this is what we read. In verse 4, and around the throne were 24 thrones. There's the throne and 24 thrones around it. And seated on the thrones are 24 elders, perhaps a reference to the 12 patriarchs of Israel and the 12 apostles of Christ. 12 plus 12, and you get 24. 
and they're clothed with white garments and with golden crowns on their heads. And around the throne, verse 6, and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living creature was like a lion and the second living creature like an ox and the third living creature that had the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each with them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never ceased to say. Day and night they never ceased to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Verse 9, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns. You might have wondered where Mark Hall got the name casting crowns. Right here. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And John says in our text at verse 11, And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and forever. It's going to be a lot of worshipping in heaven. In fact, if you don't like worship here, you won't like it there. But I guarantee you, everybody who will be there will worship and they'll be over the moon. Verse 13, and then one of the elders, John says, addressed me. One of the elders, I don't know who was, who was it. I don't know. Was it Peter? Was it Abraham? I don't know. And one of the elders addressed me saying, hey, and who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And John says, I said to him, Sir, I, I don't know you know. And so he answered. John says, and he said to me, These are the ones coming out of great tribulation. That is great suffering. Coming out. How do you come out of great suffering on the earth? <laughs> it's not a so subtle implication of death. It came through great suffering because of their witness to Christ. We don't often think about this. These are the sorts of things that we read in the Gospels or we read in the Apostles and we just sort of skip over because I don't even know if it registers to us. But John, Jesus in John chapter 15 and verse 20, he said this, he said to his disciples, he said, remember that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Yeah, I'm the master, you're not greater than me. That's just the way it goes between, in the relationship between disciples and their, their master, their Lord. A servant is not greater than his master. And so, if they persecuted me, your master, they will also persecute you. 
Or in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, the Apostle Paul, speaking to believers in Asia Minor, what is now modern-day Turkey, he said to them, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Not, it doesn't sound like a walk on Primrose Lane, does it? But maybe what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the narrow road that leads to life, which is hard, <laughs> and the gate is narrow. Or Paul writing to the Philippians in chapter 1 and verse 29, and he said, And for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him and trust in him, but also suffer for his sake when called so to do. Or writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, and Paul said, and all who would live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's right there. And so John is told by the elder, unidentified, who's speaking to him that those dressed in white and with palm branches of joy and victory in their hands are those coming out of great tribulation. And the elder continues, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever washed anything, I wouldn't think that I would, if I was going to wash a garment and I wanted to make them white, that I'd wash them in blood. But of course, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for redemption. It has to do with the, the, the fact that Christ dies for our sins, that we might be forgiven and justified, given a right standing before God, and placed spiritually in Him, so that when the Father looks at us, He sees us in the Son, and you remember how He felt toward the Son, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased, and when we're in the Son, He feels just as pleased with you, or with me, when we're in Him. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, in fact, in this same revelation, John refers to Jesus as the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. And the elder continues to speak to John. Verse 15, And therefore, because they're redeemed, and because they've been faithful, even unto death, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And the elder continues, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They've been exposed to hate and resentment and violence, persecution, execution. But he who sits on the throne shall shelter them with his presence. Indeed, they shall the elder says to John, they shall hunger no more. They shall no longer be deprived of food to eat, as might have been the case if they were put in prison. Prisons, by the way, back in the first century aren't like what they are now. You don't go to the TV room or go to the library and work on a law degree. No, they put you down in there. And you better have some friends or somebody merciful who comes around and gives you something to eat. Because they don't have, a, they don't have a, 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 a cafeteria system. They shall no longer hunger. They shall no longer thirst. That is, they shall no longer be deprived of water to drink. 
and neither shall the sun strike them, nor any scorching heat, as perhaps was the case for John as he stranded on the Isle of Patmos without proper shelter. For, the elder says, the lamb in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of living water where they can satisfy their thirst. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's one of the most breathtaking expressions in all of Scripture, I think. That God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Do you know how close you have to get to somebody to wipe away their tears? And that God will stand before you and reach out his hands and with his thumbs move those tears away and smile in your face and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Pastor Richard Wormbrand, who was imprisoned for 14 years in communist Romanian prisons and who in the late 1960s would become the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs, which is a mission still going strong today in Holy Cross Church is a regular supporter of that ministry. But he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ and this was one of the things he wrote in that book. He said, I was tortured without interruption. When I lost consciousness or became too dizzy to give my torturers any hopes of a confession, I would be returned to my cell. And there I would lie unattended to regain a little strength so that they could work on me again. Many in the prison died at this stage, but somehow my strength always managed to return. In the, the ensuing years, in several different prisons, they broke four vertebrae in my back and many other bones. They burned and cut 18 holes into my body. He said, I believe God performed this wonder by keeping me alive so that you could hear my voice crying out on behalf of the underground church which is being persecuted in restricted countries all around the world. <laughs> and it's still going on. Interestingly enough, John wrote the book of Revelation and when he did, he was himself a persecuted believer and he was writing to persecuted believers which was pretty much the norm in the first century for the Christian church as it still is in many cases in restricted nations all around the world. And the question remains, even today, is it worth it? Is it worth it to remain faithful to Christ even if in one way or another we must pay a price for staying true to him? And the answer that God gives to us through his servant John is yes. It is worth it to gain face ultimate reward.
Let us pray. We think, Lord, of the first century church or the church persecuted in various different places. Or Richard Wormbrand saying, don't feel too sorry about the persecuted church. For I've never seen joy except in Christians described in the Bible and Christians that are members of the underground church. In either case, no one is just a lukewarm believer. Everyone knows the cost that's involved. And they're all in. Lord, give us hearts to be all in. Which reminds me of something else that Richard Wurmbrand once said to a congregation gathered in Los Angeles, California. He said, most of you will never be persecuted, but not a few of you, if you were, you would remain true. Make us, Lord, those kind of believers, the kind to whom you will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Indeed, when we enter into your presence and you wipe away all tears, there will be, as Isaiah the prophet said, no remembrance of the former things. No remembrance of the former things. Or Paul writing to the, to the Romans and saying, these light momentary afflictions are not to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Make us worthy of these things, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.